0: Well, today's feast celebrates the baptism of Jesus, and this is a wonderful day in the life of the church. The tendency on this day is to focus on those last couple verses of the gospel reading. Uh, It's a beautiful scene, the heavens being opened up, the Spirit descending upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and that the voice of the Father from heaven, this is my beloved, you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Uh, But the larger scene sets up a contrast between John and Jesus, between John's baptism and the baptism of Jesus. John himself introduced the contrast. He said, for those who were thinking maybe John is the one, maybe he's the one we've been waiting for, John says, I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire quite a shocking image. Probably the only thing more shocking than that uh, when you read, as you're reading along is the couple verses that the lectionary reading left out in between that section and, and the baptism of Jesus. The first verse there is Luke's summary of John's ministry, and Luke says, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. So we're supposed to see John's message not only as the shocking image that it is, but as good news, this is good news for us. Um, And I'd like to think for a few minutes today about how that is. How is this good news that we'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire? John's baptism, as we know, is described as a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it involves a symbolic act with water. People would come down to the Jordan River, and they would be immersed in the water and then they would come back up out of the water. It was a way of sort of symbolizing the cleansing, the washing away of impurity, the washing away of sin, forgiveness, um, and also sort of death life imagery. Water often symbolizes the chaos and death and disorder of the world. So you're, you're um, going into that and then coming out of that to new, to new life. Um, that, a lot of that imagery is incorporated into Christian baptism as well, And forgiveness obviously is central to what what Jesus's ministry was about, it's a great thing. But forgiveness by itself leaves our nature or our character untouched. Uh, You all know the hymn Rock of Ages, right? Uh, Rock of Ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. So the, the forgiveness of sins, the re- baptism of repentance, works on the guilt of sin, right, the debt that we owe. But there's still uh, sin is, still has a power over us. All of those habits of thought, those habits of behavior that we've learned over many years, over a whole lifetime, uh, they don't magically go away at, at the moment of baptism. Uh, those habits need to be uh, re- reworked, refined, removed. And this is why when John is comparing Jesus to himself, he says, I'm not even worthy of doing what the lowest slave would, would not do to his fellow Jew. I, I wouldn't even untie the thong of his sandal. Uh, that's, that's above my dignity. Um, Jesus' baptism brings the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to uh, work on that sin which remains in our lives and to bring us more and more nearly into conformity with his son, with with Jesus. This transforming or purifying work of the spirit is symbolized here and in other places with the image of fire. In the Bible, uh, fire has two primary symbols. The first is judgment and the second is purification. judgment uh, makes sense with the image of fire. Fire often consumes things, right? It consume, it'll it consume stubble. It con- confu- consumes, in this passage, chaff. Um, and the idea is that um, all of the evil and sin and injustice and impre- uh, oppression in the world, God promises to one day rid the world of it, to, to eliminate it, to, to consume it, so that it's no longer there, so that we have a world of peace and justice and goodness. Um, whenever we pray for uh, the Lord's Prayer, we are praying for that kingdom of peace and justice to come. Um, and although this t- tends to make us a little uneasy when we think about it ju- in terms of judgment, that's what we're really praying for. That's what the people of Israel had longed for for many, many generations, that God would bring his just rule, um, that he would uh, answer the cry of the oppressed, that he would fight against injustice, and that the, the reign of injustice would not go on forever. Um, but that's, that's not the primary image that's going on in, in this passage today. Um, when John talks about the ho- Jesus bringing a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, he's talking about that second image of fire, purification. Um, fire in the ancient world was used to purify uh, metals, right? It was used to um, purify or remove uh, alloys um, from the impurities from the metal. Uh, just heating it up hot enough, and those impurities will eventually melt away. And this became, in the Old Testament, a metaphor for proving character. Um, it became a way of, of talking about those aspects of our own character that need to be burned away, that need to be taken out, that need to be removed so that the, what God intends for us can shine through. Um, this image of fire as purification recalls uh, the description of John the Baptist's ministry from the prophet Malachi. You're probably familiar of this, from this, pa- of this passage, mainly from uh, Handel's Messiah. Malachi says, behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. But who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. That, pa- that end of the passage is talking not about John's ministry, but about Jesus's ministry. And the first part, um, Bap- John prepares for that ministry by the baptism of repentance, where we uh, bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. We come to, re- to God in repentance. Um, but the question is still, how are we going to be able to stand through this process of purification? Um, with all of that context in mind, that should, help, that should help us to see that when we talk about Christian baptism or when we see someone baptized in church, this is not a nice, tame, you know, uh, s- symbolic act, um, but the reality that's undergirding that is remarkable. It's, it's really an incredible process. Not only does it represent forgiveness of sins, God's acceptance of us, and clearing away our guilt, but also um, adoption into his family, being incorporated into the body of Christ, and then specifically with related to, related to the idea of purification, the power of the Spirit in our lives to work on the sin that, is, is, uh, that still remains, to overcome that power of sin in our lives. Um, there was a, um, it, it represents really the immersion of, God, of, of God's people in the Spirit of God, being clothed with God's power in order to be transformed into Christ's likeness, uh, there was a uh, uh, an Anglican uh, lay writer, Dorothy Sayers. She wrote mysteries, and she also wrote. Uh, she tr- was a she was an, a brilliant scholar. She translated the Divine Comedy, among other things, and uh, she got bored with this. Uh, I mean, she got uh, tired of hearing over and over again people claiming that that Christian doctrine was dull. Uh, people aren't coming to church anymore because theology and doctrine is so boring. And she finally said, if we think it dull, it is because we either have never really read the creeds or have recited them so often and so mechanically as to have lost all sense of their meaning. The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man, and the dogma is the drama." Uh, So when we think of Christian baptism, we we often think of just the pretty gowns and the flowers and the pictures, but all of that, the reason for all of that, the reason that that's so significant is because of the deeper reality of what's going on and what what is symbolized by the act. Um, With that in mind, we should all, I think, be willing to admit that we are not yet there. We have not yet arrived. We are not yet perfect images of God's Son. And so that process of transformation will at times be difficult, uncomfortable, even painful. Um, I keep on talking about transformation, but that's just a fancy word for change, and none of us likes change. So again, going back to the original question, why is this good news? I think there are two reasons in particular that the passage points out. First, remember the other symbol, the other symbol of fire in the, in the, in the Bible. Uh, God promises that evil will not be left unchecked. That the evil and injustice of the world will one day finally be dealt with. God will put the world to rights. And as uncomfortable as that may be, we typically like that idea with the world out there, but it includes the evil in ourselves. It includes our own sin and evil. And if we cling to that, if if we refuse to let it go, what we're doing essentially is identifying ourselves, not with Christ, but with the evil that God will one day finally deal with. That's the warning of, of the second image in the gospel passage, not the image of baptism, but the image of wheat and chaff. And as Jesus says elsewhere, um, everyone will be salted with fire. The incur- the sort of What the passage is encouraging us to do is, cooperate or participate in the Spirit's purifying work now, while it's a relatively, you know, gradual and straightforward process. Um, The second reason that this is good news is, more importantly, I think, that God's love compels Him to bring us ever, ever fuller into an experience of His joy and the love that He has for us. Uh, You know, it's commonplace to hear people say something along the lines of God loves us just the way we are. God accepts us just the way we are. Uh, And there is truth to that, right? We all come to God and we do not do so on the basis of our own merit, but because of God's mercy. But if that's all we have to say about God's love, we're, we're shortchanging what God has in mind for us. The truth is God loves us too much to leave us where we are weighed down by impurity and sin. God wants to see us healed and whole and full of life. This is why Jesus says he came to give us that we might have life and have it in abundance. God wants to see us perfected in Christ, and that is what he promises at our baptism. In Christ, the Father's words are spoken to us. You are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased." That is a promise that God means to fulfill in each of our lives, as remarkable as that may seem. But as I said, baptism is not a magical transformation. Um, The grace that we receive at baptism is real, but it doesn't affect an immediate change of all of those old habits and behaviors. Rather, it's a promise that God makes that we receive by faith Followed by a process, and the process is spirit gradually purifying us, like metal is refined. You know, in the ancient world, the the we have descriptions of what the smelting process looked like. Um, they would put you know some sort of pot over a very hot fire with bellows. They would get it super super hot, and and then they would wait for the all of the impurities to to burn away. And this is how one scholar describes the end of that process. The refiner looks into the open furnace or pot and knows that the process of purifying is complete and the dross all burnt away when he can see his image plainly reflected in the molten metal. That's a beautiful image of what God is doing in our own lives. He is working on us like fire on metal until he can look at us and see His Son, Jesus. May we be willing partners in this work of purification, however painful or uncomfortable it may be at times, trusting in God's promise that we will one day be by His grace what in Christ we are now by faith.